On this episode of Overcome with Justin Wren, it is Nat Rogachevsky. All I know is that I did not think that not just a good life, but any kind of better life was possible. I just didn't see it getting any better, and I didn't believe it could. I let go just for a second. I just asked somebody for help, someone who'd been there, and there's a lot of great people out there, and you know where to find them. Man, I couldn't ask for anything. I couldn't ask for anything. I, my cup runneth over, and all, all I did was get out of my own way just for a second. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet. And neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I'm not going to slaughter your last name. Yeah. Rogachevsky. Rogachevsky. Yeah. There's yeah. a V in there, but it's like slick Chevsky. Okay. Yeah. So Nat Rogachevsky. Yeah. Right? Very close. Very close. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One more time. Uh, Nat. <laughs> Nat. Easy part. Rogachevsky. Rogachevsky. Yeah. Kind of. Perfect. Yeah, no, Perfect. that was really okay. good. All right. That was really good. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Thanks, man. It's great really to be am. here. Because uh, my first introduction to you. Yeah. Well, we saw each other last night at uh, Kill that's Tony. Right. That's right. And that's what prompted this podcast. Yep. I saw you and I just thought it was a little, maybe God wink from the universe. Sure. To be like, man, yeah. I need to have Nat on this show. I appreciate it, man. It's good to be here. Yeah. I was so impressed with your first, I think it was, let's see, Kill Tony 528. Yeah, that would be correct. Hans Kim was the, I think it was his first time sitting down as a judge. Yeah, uh -huh. big for Hans too. Mm -hmm. um, it made it a lot, uh, I don't know, I was insanely nervous anyway, um, but that just like my buddy who's a comic was up there as the guest and not like, you know, Joe fucking Rogan. Right. It was a little bit easier yeah. to go out and do my thing. Well, I had a great conversation with Hans last night. I'll get to that because- I want to let the listeners know that you just killed it on Kill Tony. But what was so amazing to me, re-watching it, but they're live. I was there with Amy, my friend Brigham, uh, Amanda. Mm -hmm. I was there with Chris uh, Murphy, one of yep. our friends. And you have only been doing comedy for six months at that point. At that point, yeah. Nine months now. I think um, it was three months ago that it was released. So yeah, was... I, I think it was longer than three months ago okay. that, it, that it, it came out. Because I was looking back at it, and that was probably... If I got here in September, that was like uh, August, and I I must have like it was probably closer to like eight months because I'm at eleven now, so I must have flubbed in that interview because I'm at like eleven now. So eleven I, months, I, yeah. You haven't even been doing, been doing comedy for a year yet. Yeah, we're coming up on the year wow. like at the end of February, beginning of March. Your stage presence was incredible. I mean, there was Thanks, a guy man. last night that had twelve years, yeah, twelve years of experience, and you were every bit if not more confident with your stage presence. Ah, thank no, you, man. Like, thank you. Literally. And then what stunk was I went on uh, YouTube to pull up Kill Tony 528 
and Amy and I were watching it. We were laughing. Yeah. And then whenever you got the big moment, yeah. it goes mute. I know. Because uh, of the algorithms or whatever, the copyright. Yeah, they copyright me. Yep. Yeah. They would have, uh, I guess, struck down the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bummer. And I like wish I had... I'm sure if I like scour the web, I'll find a version because you know there's someone who downloads everything right away or right. something right away. Um, but I wish I had recorded it while I still had, and I and I actually did record it at some point because I like put it out, uh, like somewhere later and like lost that. So, wow. uh, but the singing is is right now in the abyss somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, set it up for. Our, our listeners, what is the Kill Tony show? How did you yeah. find it? And what's the whole process? Because it's almost like yeah. kind of the American Idol of of comedy. It is. It is. It's a uh, mean American Idol of a comedy, mean- <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Great. Um, so Kill Tony's really established itself as an institution within stand-up comedy. We're really lucky to have it in Austin now. But essentially, it's a live podcast. The most popular live in, podcast in, in the world. world. Um and it's it's no it's nothing uh, format wise like what you would consider a traditional podcast like a conversation. Essentially, what it is, it's a show where it's set up with the host Tony Hinchcliffe, who's a great comic. Uh, his producer, King of Roast. Yeah, he's really uh, top. <laughs> Roasted guys like what uh, Snoop Dogg and and plenty. Of yeah, others. he's roasted so many people. He's written roasts yeah. for like um, like huge celebrities that get invited to do celebrity roast spots and stuff like that. He's a big act. He opens for Rogan all the time, uh, and just a super strong veteran comic anyway yeah. so he started the show at the at the comedy store and essentially it's him up there with his producer and also a comic brian redban who was the original producer for the joe rogan podcast right. got it got going off the ground um and then a guest who tends to be um generally at least an entertainer but usually like a really established stand-up comic and they're sitting up there and they pull names out of a bucket that open micers before the show sign up for and that line outside, I mean, Crazy. How, how many how many comics sign up for it, a show, you think? On, 50, 100? Yeah, so like on a low night, like 75. Wow. And I've seen like up to 150 Wow, signing up. And people fly in for it. Oh, totally. All, all around the country. Totally, totally. Um, Just hoping that their name gets pulled out of the bucket. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. You'll, and you'll see people who have been fans of the show for so long that like- which is, I think, a little mental. Well, that'll be their first time doing stand-up. Oh, They're ever. like, this is, yeah, it's yeah. so crazy. Yeah, I've always been a stand-up fan. I feel like I'm really funny, and I just love the Kill Tony show. So I, so you're essentially like subjugating yourself to this uh, torture, which is like if you don't do so good or like right. you're, you're not as fun in the interview because you're going to get roasted. Like that's a big part of the show. Right. Um, of course, all in good fun, but it's part of it. But I can't imagine... Like the first time I did stand up was in a guy's living room. Okay, you know, I mean? it was like, like <laughs> I first time on the biggest podcast, right. live podcast in the world, right? Getting roasted by one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, it's it's wild, it's a wild uh, thing, and what it's also what makes the show great is anyone can get pulled. So there's you know, insane people who get oh, yeah. pulled, and it's it's uh, it's super fun. It's also really funny as a comic to see because, you know, we're all waiting in this bullpen because you're, you're waiting in this little designated area, hoping your name gets called and everyone's phones are locked up because that's just what they do at that show anyway. Right. And that's where your notes are normally. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah. Um, a lot of us write them out like for the show and stuff like that. And we're, it's this, it the energy doesn't really exist anywhere else in the world than this bullpen because it's all these comics and we're trying to keep it jovial 
You know what I mean? We're all trying to like riff with each other and like be nice and smooth and relaxed. But you are literally waiting for your name to potentially be called. Right. Uh, to go perform in front of like on regular, I think it's something like something like 250,000 people view it live. Yeah. Like regularly. And then it can get, you know, into the millions of views if right. it's a big guest or whatever. Um, so it's just like, an, like, Literally, one second, I'm coming from some open mic down the street at our home club, Creek in the Cave, and now I'm, like, maybe about to perform in front of, like, more viewers than people who watch, like, The Tonight Show now. Right. Wow. So, it's it's a crazy That's energy. That's crazy. I, just, just trying to compare that. I've got a funny story about Brian Redband that even happened yeah, yeah. last night, but I couldn't imagine being in the back just of a, a, a bullpen of fighters. I, I fight professionally. Yeah, yeah. And so being in the back, just waiting for your name to get pulled out of a hat, and then you're doing the walkout <laughs> to the cage, right. and you're fighting in front of hundreds yeah. of thousands or millions of people. Yeah. You just have to perform on the spot. I mean, yeah. a, a fighter, you got to be ready, and I guess as a comic, you yeah. got to be ready. But that's a, that's a crazy concept. Yeah. I don't think... Well, actually, back in the day of... Anyways, MMA, they used to have this thing called Toad Holler in Iowa. Yeah. People would go to a bar and they'd be drinking and then you could go basically like pick a fight with someone and you get in the cage and you fight them. What? what? So that, that, yeah, that was the <laughs> early like... days. That was the early days, like uh, early 2000s. Yeah. Toad Holler, a guy named uh, Josh Neer, the dentist, got his nickname the dentist because most guys didn't have mouthpieces they mm -hmm. walked around with. <laughs> so right. he'd knock all these guys' teeth out. But it was similar, I mean, not similar because it wasn't anything gigantic. Yeah. Like this opportunity that you had. Yeah. What did that do for you, and how did you go up there so, so confident? And what was the what was the song that you sang? Because I right. I completely forgot it. Amy and I were like trying to right. lip read and everything else totally. with it. So it was it. I'll answer the last one for it was "Don't Stop Believing." Yes, and you got a standing ovation. Thank you. Um, and it was partially due that due to the fact that I can sort of sing a little bit. I did. You can sing. Thank you. Um. I can like shower sing very well. So okay. like, you know, I mean, especially in this setting, it was pretty good. Um, and I genuinely didn't know the words past like the first few lines. So I improvised and like just made it like a generally silly song about like a guy trying to fuck a girl, you know, yeah. I mean, it was like, <laughs> which I think like it, it is about. So it's yeah. like, um, and I had a ton of fun with it. Um, and that definitely like uh, propelled my career uh especially at this stage and like i had just moved to austin like a month before a month before yeah so it was just like this crazy that move paid off huh oh big time wow big time and like i came here to do comedy it's an, an amazing comedy scene it's growing so rapid it was already great mm -hmm. it's been growing so so fast and so many opportunities are rising and i was fortunate enough that like i had established myself somewhat in like a visit back in may and like really put myself out there and got my touch uh, myself in touch with a bunch of other comics and bookers and stuff like that. So I'd laid a little bit of a foundation. People knew that I was like at least half funny. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. wasn't like completely You're real funny, my man. Thanks, man. Yeah. And uh and so that was like there was definitely like it was going well before. I'm not gonna say like nothing was happening. But it's just like it, it lights such a spark under your ass, mm. like kind of for everyone to see. Um, and that's really, really cool. And I got, you know, so what it is, is you do a minute of stand up and then they interview you afterwards about your, your background and and whatever they can. They kind of just it's, it's almost like improv. They try to keep the ball in the air, make it fun. And that's how I ended up singing. Um, 
but uh it it the highest the highest reward you can get from the show is being invited to do Brian Redband's showcase, yep. the secret show. Yep, the secret show. And you got that invitation. I did. That was crazy. Yeah, they that, asked, they that asked, was awesome. They asked you how how strong do you feel or how, how much much time. Right. And you said you could do a solid fifteen minutes. Yes. Yes. And so he invited you on the show. That was yes. epic to see live. Yeah. It was epic to go back and watch again tonight. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, man. That's I a that's a that. great reward. It was huge. Well, Real quick, the funny story I shared in the green room last night with Brian Redman mm-hmm. was I walked in there, we hugged each other real quick, and I got to see Hans and William, and then uh, Tony and I connected on the balcony, but I sat down with Brian real quick, mm-hmm. and uh, we started talking, and I go, do you remember, it was either my first or second time on Rogan's in the old studio, yeah, these these uh, yeah. carbonated beverages are making us both burp. So yeah. if you hear that, <laughs> ladies right. and gentlemen, sorry. Right. Right. <laughs> nice ambient noise. But <laughs> uh, I said that uh, basically I had some pictures to send them from me mm-hmm. being in Africa and showing some of the wells being mm-hmm. drilled by our team, mm-hmm. basically them being able to help themselves, like yeah. just equipping them with the tools, educating with the knowledge. And... He's like, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, we were live. And I go, yes. And then I read out, oh, is it Redband one at gmail.com? <laughs> and there's hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people watching live. Yeah. And he goes, oh, shit. And Joe just was, his jaw was dropped. And he goes, you're about to have to burn that nuke uh-huh, it. Dude. And uh, when Joe changes his number, he goes, anyways, he normally says, hey, nuke the old one. And right. so he's like, nuke it. And right. Brian was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get so many dick pics. And yeah. he did. Yeah, and course. we were just rolling laughing. He goes, I forgot about that. You owe me $3 for whatever is Google <laughs> yeah, yeah. Google stuff. And we were cracking up about that. But it's crazy what a live show can do. Yeah, I mean, because there's going to be mistakes and there's yeah. going to be impro- uh, improvising. Yeah. And you did such a good job improvising. Thank you. Even why I brought you here tonight yeah. was because of your story. Thank you. If you wouldn't have shared that part, I wouldn't have come up to you afterwards. Sure. I mean, I probably would have, just to say you did it awesome. Thanks. But I was in early recovery, and I failed. I failed after that and had to go to treatment. I got out December 23rd of the, of last year, and so I'm, hey, thank you. I'm 103 days sober. Nice. Super good. I'm burping too. Yeah. As, as we record this. Yeah, he's back on the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> but- uh. No, whenever you shared, uh, they were like, I, I forget how they even set it up, but you got to share about being in recovery. Yeah. And, oh, oh, you, they said, what was your last job? Uh, I said drug dealer. Drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, that piqued my interest. Yeah. And then you went into your story of basically how heroin, and you were selling yeah. Molly and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. The whole crowd was cheering for you. Yeah, yeah. They went nuts. They went nuts. I was like, I used to sell Molly, and they were like- Fuck yeah, and they went nuts. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. So everyone loved Molly in there, yeah. and then they started talking about uh, your heroin use, which was what, yeah. five years? Uh, so it's I'm coming up on five years sober. Five years sober. And How long were you addicted to heroin? So I w- was- We just took a big uh, turn. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so from like 19 to 25, and the last like three and a half years of that were heroin before that was opiates. Okay. I was an Oxycontin uh, addict. So. The best. 
Yeah. 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 No hangovers. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just clean heroin. Yeah. yeah. And it was really hard for me to get off of that. Of course. I was on it for four months before yeah. I got a surgery and yeah. then after the surgery, two or three months. And then they gave me five years of prescriptions. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done getting off that. But I really want to highlight your story. Can you can you take us back to yeah. however you want to share it? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I I pretty I mean I just love drugs and alcohol like from the moment they were exposed to me like in any capacity, and and, and you hear this talked about in recovery communities all the time that there's like a there's a sensation that you have as an addict or an alcoholic that like people who are just enjoy their booze or like might screw around with a a little bit of this or that they just don't have so for me when i it was pot first it was instantly like um a problem was solved like just like a problem of of uh, like the deepest nature you know what i mean um so it's it's like it's it's tough to explain for like a, a general populace other than if you really like are like screwed like guys like us are when you are first exposed and continue to be exposed to drugs and alcohol the feeling is like ah now i can operate on like the same plane of existence as the rest of the world wow i didn't feel part of the world until drugs and alcohol and they talk about like this aha moment like that's it problem solved completely and so my progression, so I was, I was pretty much a straight A student. I bounced around the suburbs of Boston, but like mostly like really nice areas and stuff. Like upbringing was like fine. You know what I mean? Like nothing special, no like considerable trauma, like whatever. Better better story than some, worse story than some. Um, straight A student, like maybe a little bit of a goof, but like literally like... Russian math schools, all these like, you know, I was doing like summer math shit, like just Russian, Russian, Russian Jew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was a, I was a, I'm Russian Jewish and it was just like a thing that you did Russian math school. Correct. Okay. So I never even heard of that. So they they take like math and science so seriously in the USSR where my parents were from. Yeah. I wrestled over there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know what's <laughs> up. Um, that they put me in these like math schools. So anyway, I excelled significantly as a student and I started smoking pot when I was 13. And by the time I was 14, I was like at risk of being kicked out of high school. Wow. And was my like neighborhood drug dealer. Mm. Like it just instantly, like as soon as I started smoking, I was like, oh, I'm the weed guy now. This is it. That's, it's not just what I do, it's who I am. Wow. Like immediately. So that's that. You started con- dealing at what, 13, 14 years old? Yeah, 14 was like, wow. Yeah, maybe 13. Um, and so, and that never like left the picture. That was there to stay immediately. I was like, quick cash. I'm, I feel like I'm good at this. When I have a joke, as I say, it's like saying that you're good at selling drugs is like saying that you're good at like receiving blowjobs. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I, oh, the way you just laid there till you came is, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great yeah. i thought i was gonna say do you have this entrepreneurial spirit about you like a yeah. young age already yeah. a businessman <laughs> like i've never finished yeah. getting a blowjob and the girl's like that was amazing you know like, but um uh, but so i was always selling drugs and then i like got really into like festival communities and stuff like that getting into harder drugs pretty quickly like 
did pretty much like everything. Molly LSD. Molly LSD, ketamine, all oh, that, yeah, like ketamine. all of those like kind of like hippie drugs and stuff right. like that. And, and like everything else you can imagine. Literally, I don't like outside of like vague research chemicals, like if, if you name it, I've, I've done it by the time I'm like 16 or so. And in You've my- done everything by the time you're 16. Right. And the only thing that I had, which ended up being really my drug of choice- were painkillers because in my high school there was a very pretty clear path of trouble that it was like okay a lot of people take their first percocet their freshman year and then by sophomore year you start to see the signs of like who's in trouble and by like their junior and senior years you have like some full-fledged opioid addicts in my town i'm from massachusetts new england like super ravaged with uh oxycontin and percocet and stuff like that um in in that sense but uh, so I just like steered clear of it. Like I was actually afraid of that because I just saw stuff happening to my friends like really quickly. And I don't really know what was like the occasion or what like shifted my thinking into being like, okay, I'm just going to try this out. But I remember somewhere around 18 having like way too much money for an 18 year old through like mm. selling drugs. I was a high school dropout. I had been sent to, and we could get into this a little more. I've been sent to this like school in Israel that was like, wow, like this, like this thing. It was like you had to apply to go to it, and it was like supposed to be like accelerated, but it was like really strict, and like they had like, like, uh, like military based methods because they, you, if you complete the program, it's like a two and a half year program. You become an Israeli citizen, and you're, you know, in the you're going to serve, yeah, for two years, right? And so they like kind of start to lay the the groundwork right away. And like all these things that like were programs within it that were like optional. Become you like went me. there? Correct. How long? I got kicked out in two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you were an international drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I think I was like- What I was were just, the drugs of choice in Tel Aviv or wherever like, it was? Yeah, it was pretty much just like hash that okay. I was smoking. Yeah. And I didn't have access to it right away. But like as soon as I got to leave the campus- The hookah or the shisha? Yeah, all of yeah. it. You know what I mean? And like we weren't even allowed to smoke butts on campus. So I was like, you know, mm. really uh, I was sneaking that. And then like I wasn't supposed to like have a girlfriend. I did that. I wasn't supposed to get into fights. I did that. You know mm. what I mean? It's like- I was just problematic immediately. And I was super duper. And this was the case from the second I picked up like pot and booze. I was super like anti-authority mm. to like, not even like in that like rebel spirit kind of way. Just like, all right, man, can you like shut up? Like other kids are trying to learn. And I'm just like, fuck you. To, like these teachers are just like, want to help really. You know? right. Um, But of course they were always the problem. But anyway, um, around 18, I had all this money and I think I was just bored and I was like, I want to see what the fuss is about. And I picked up, um, some Percocet and did it with my friends. And that was when that true feeling of like, ah, uh, I f- maybe for the first time in my life believe like I'm okay. Like I'm going, like I'm going to be all right. Wow. Because the stuff that you don't recognize when you're that young that I'd been experiencing for the whole time is like, you're, it's just not right. But you don't have to think about it because I'm just like making money. I keep running. There's always some girl around. Like there's always like some crazy, like I used to go music festivals a lot. Like I'm constantly chasing a thing and drugs are all around it all the time. 
And you're getting experience after experience. Yeah. Where you feel like, you know. Yeah. Something's okay. Or like things are happening. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, well, I have this money. So there's right. that point of validation where like you can't say I'm not doing well there. Right. And it's like girls are around. So I'm like, I, I feel okay like with myself about that. You know what I mean? Uh, it's all bullshit. But um, meanwhile, you know, my, my parents, I like, can't sleep at night wondering where I'm at and like this and that. I'm like just neglecting my family and everything. Like just not good all around. And um. And I'm like constantly running from like just even like a second, just like alone by myself, mm -hmm. God forbid, sober. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because that's, you'll hear in the recovery communities too, is like the only thing worse than active addiction is sobriety, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like until yeah. you, you found a solution. You mean, yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, I feel that whenever, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I, I think with me, Sometimes I had so much purpose because I, I was fortunate enough to yeah. find the outlet yeah. and my people and this cause mm -hmm. that that kept me sober for four or five years sure. um, without a program of recovery, without right. a 12-step thing, without right. therapy. Right. And once it resurfaced and hit me like a Mack truck, yeah. uh, almost, well, I don't know that it really snuck up on me, but it felt like it did. It felt yeah. like it blindsided me. Um, because a lot of stuff came up from actually that, that work or those experiences and some of the worst days of my life yeah. over there. And then I didn't know how to deal or cope with that. Yeah. And I didn't have any coping mechanisms. Yeah. I didn't have any tools. And so I reverted back to, okay, I don't know what to do with this, but I know getting high will let me escape mm -hmm. these feelings or mm -hmm. let me numb or let me feel good. Yeah. Or let me, it's, it became the solution again. Yeah. I don't have to be myself. Yeah. Yeah. On it.com slash overcome. You know, those times when you're so into what you're doing that you can't think about anything else. The days when you finish your work without looking up once, how do you like to feel that kind of focus every single day? Whether I'm training for or in an MMA fight, or if I'm engaged in a new philanthropy project, we're sitting down in front of an epic podcast host or guest. I want to get into that flow state faster and stay engaged longer. With AlphaBrain, you can. It's clinically studied nootropic ingredients support memory, mental speed, and flow state. That feeling of being in the zone. So you can be focused and productive anytime. It's a world-renowned nootropic supplement with more than 1 million bottles sold. Why? Because it works. I know it works. I want you to, too. With its trademarked ingredient blends, Alpha Brain helps build an environment in which your brain can operate on all cylinders, promoting lasting mental clarity. It also helps your vision too. You can save up to 30% when you try Alpha Brain today. Give yourself the gift of a healthier, higher functioning brain. That's a no-brainer. Try Alpha Brain today on it.com slash overcome. But I would say that when I got out of treatment the first time, uh, August of 2020, mm. uh, I didn't really, I mean, people talk in the recovery community, like you said about like a step on truth and other things like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. I yeah. was like, you know, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that, but yeah. I can still do this, this right. and that. Right. And this time will be different. Yeah. And I was under that guise that, so I was sober for a little while and it was like just white knuckling it. Yeah. And that, that was, that was hard. Oh, dude. It was so hard. I, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Yeah. And, and I, mean? I don't think people can understand yeah. that, that aren't, that don't have the brain you and right. I have. Right. That, those similarities. How would, how would you, 
How would you say that or explain it to someone that has no clue what being sober and not in recovery is like, like being absent of your solution with a thing that fixes you, but not having other things. Right. Yeah. So, so to first like answer that question, you'd have to paint a picture of like just what drugs and alcohol mean to like the true addict and alcoholic. Mm. And a simple way of putting it, and you can break it down a lot of other ways, but it's like, that's our best friend. Mm. That's who we go to with our deepest, darkest secrets. That's who we go to when the sun's out, when it's rainy. Like, no matter what, that's our best buddy. Not just that, but he's always been there. It doesn't matter what my dad said. It doesn't matter what my job said. It doesn't matter what my ex did. Like... My best buddy's always there, and they just want the best for me. You know, and I mean? it doesn't and even that, matter what you've done while you're with your best buddy. Right. Doesn't like, matter. They're always there. They're always there. Unconditional love. And you have been doing this and living this way for a long time. Usually, mm. by the time yeah. by the time you can experience yeah. like what you need to get uh-huh. better, right? And so now, to describe like white knuckling and really going dry, as we call it, mm. you just take that best buddy. And just remove it and go, all right, keep doing what you were doing. And you're like, what do you, what do you, what do you, how could I, you want me to go to work now? Mm. You want me to build a relationship? You know what Mm. I mean? You want me to uh, just like, now it's just all good with those same people that I fucked around with, like all along the way, like those people that are closest to me that are the first ones to get hurt. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So true. So. And and what's crazy is the way that real alcoholism works is that while you're in the middle of like this real, it's suffering. It's really suffering, right? Yeah. To to be without your solution and to just have the physical part removed, nothing's happened for the mental part. Nothing's happened for the spiritual part. And all of these things, like you got to make make it right. You got to figure out why you're there in the first place. You got like you know what I mean to like break down twelve step stuff in kind of a more general way. You have to really like accept the fact of where you were and where you're at and what you are and you don't do any of that and now you just have to experience this big bad scary world that was what brought you to this best buddy in the first place wow you know what i mean like it's it's a miserable thing and i know people experience it yeah and it's tough i used to be like that guy's an asshole but now i'm just like that's just a a fallen brother Mm. you know what i mean because when i was first getting sober and like really getting hot about it because you know like you start to feel a little bit better and you're like this is the shit yeah like, i'm gonna talk about it all the time you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like i'm gonna tell everybody like i see my buddy have like two beers i'm like dude you should come to a meeting you know what i mean like <laughs> <laughs> like you know how it goes because yeah. i've been there you know what i mean yeah um but then it, but then you're like you, i i see someone who's like not experiencing like the miracle of like truly having a solution and i'm like man if if you if by just the way i act or like the way i treat people if that's at all attractive to you just like hit me up mm. and that's it that's the end of the story i don't need any like you know what i mean it's like totally just like the door stays open no matter what and it's like you tell me yeah i think it's hard seeing some of the guys that i've gone to treatment with that didn't necessarily mm-hmm. get it you know and go back out it sucks. And uh and that's really hard cuz some some are really really struggling. And yeah. um and to see them go back to that as their solution or 
when, when we say solution, what does that mean for the average person? Well, because it's like, so what I started to describe when I'm talking about my background and like the feelings that I had. So when I'm first starting a party, I'm I'm only after the fact, after getting sober, able to recognize what I was feeling. Because when you're 13, you don't know what like anxiety is. Maybe like 13 yeah. year olds now because they have all that shit kind of crammed down their throat. Right. Which is great in certain cases. But when I was 13, I didn't know what anxiety was or social anxiety was or like not feeling comfortable with myself mm. was. I just thought I was a, a freak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I take something physically in and I don't think I'm a freak anymore, problem solved. Right. So that so it was, and again, it, that was the solution. That was the solution, and really the underlying problems right. were like kind of those causes or conditions right. that are like the contributing factors right. to why I use, which is being uncomfortable with my right. own skin, or or even just having the brain right. of an addict or alcoholic right. that now doesn't just one of the things I learned was what was kind of cool was it's not just about pleasure yeah. or dopamine. Yeah, it's actually about it hijacking your brain and it now becoming the priority yeah. that can take priority over food, water, shelter, family, the most important relationships. It's like, um, it's like the, uh, and it's, you have such a different perspective on this after experiencing addiction, and alcoholism, but like the beginning of train spotting that line where he's like, choose, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it's this big, great monologue where he's like, choose life. Choose a flat screen TV, choose a new girlfriend, choose like X, Y, and Z, choose your flat, choose your the belt you wore in the morning, choose that. Why choose all that when you could choose heroin? Hmm. You know what I mean? It's, I haven't seen that. It's an awesome movie. Okay. You got to watch I'll it. I'll go watch it. And this is like a, a big, awesome monologue part in the beginning of the movie that's about wow. dope junkies. But essentially, and as a person who hasn't experienced addiction or alcoholism, you might just think that's like tongue in cheek and like clever writing. But what he means is the world... And being ourselves is so scary and so hard and there's so much, it's so complicated. Why would I do all that if I could just figure out how to get the next bag? Mm. That's been working for me so far, you know what I mean? Yeah. Until it hasn't, Yeah. Right? But it's like, it's just like, and this is what the alcoholism tells you, right? That's easier. That's easier than like, just calling my dad and like just letting him know where, where I'm actually at. And that's easier than like telling my friend why like I couldn't make it to like this one thing that he really needed me for mm. or whatever it might be. It would be easier to just stay in my room, lock myself up and shoot dope. Be like, yeah. Or that and even other times like I, I know that and we're going to get back to your story because yeah. I, I want to see this journey mm. um, because it's going to help me and I know it's going to help someone that's listening to this. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for you being here and Thanks, man. I being so it. open with your story. Thank you. That means a lot. Oh, man, and, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank yeah. you. But I know that I missed, uh, so I, I went missing for two months. Yeah. And this was when I was maybe 23. And my best friend called and called and called and called. And finally I got a voicemail and I had something like 80 voicemails and this was the last one. Or it was the most recent one, but my mailbox was full. And he said, I can't believe you missed my wedding. Yeah. I can't believe my best man didn't show up. Yeah. And he went on for, I think it was eight minutes, and that's what ate up all the voicemail time. But I just remember hearing that, and the, those eight seconds of felt like eternity. I can't believe you missed my wedding. can't yeah. believe my best man didn't show up. And I wanted, I wanted to be there. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. 
And I didn't want to put a dark cloud, the same dark cloud that was just continuously covering me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to put that on him and that special day. Mm-hmm. And that's a dude I loved. Yeah. And had only ever loved me. Yeah. And that I would have never in my life wanted to have hurt. Right. And I hurt him in the deepest, mm-hmm. most, one of the most painful ways possible. Yeah. Because he doesn't know if I'm alive. Mm. Um, Man. Yeah. I mean, dude, it just, it ripped me up. I, I took oh, yeah. suicide after that. Yeah. And just thought, if I'm this guy. I'm going to hurt more people than I help. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm hurting. I'm hurting everyone around me. The people I love. The, like what you said. Mm-hmm. You're the, you're the closest people. And what's crazy is to an audience, they're like, whoa, holy shit. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly. Mm. I've been there a million, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's so crazy. Yeah. Well, let's go back to what would it be? 17, 18, 19 years old? Yeah. So that's like the first time I'm like really doing opioids, opiates. Um, and um, that then like that was, it was the most comfortable with myself I'd ever felt. Mm. It would be a really good way of describing it. Yeah, the high is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to like pretend that it was just like, oh, I was a crazy guy and that wasn't. That's why I like heroin. You know what I mean? I love the feeling. Yeah. Without doubt. Um, And unfortunately, I had the means to continue doing it. And I don't know, like, you know, we talk a lot about in recovery communities, like, about like nature versus nurture and like how it comes to be. And I think they're both equally important and I can break it down a little further, but I think, I think I was always an alcoholic and addict. I think that was predetermined. You know Mm. what I mean? Yeah. The reason I think so is I started this story by telling you, I watched all of these kids get addicted to Percocet and I had the warnings all along the way. And from the second I took my first one, immediately there was zero thought of let's be smart Let's space these out. Let's um, remember all the teachings of just your experiences in life along the way. I was selling drugs with a friend of mine, a really good buddy of mine to this day. We're both out the game. He's an amazing dude. And our whole thing was because we had seen it rip so many people up in the festival scene was we don't work with people who are junkies. Mm. And I'm the second I'm taking Percocet, I'm like, there's no reason for me to not do this the rest of my life. Wow. That's like just immediately cosmic shift in thinking. Mm. I get that. <laughs> yeah, dude, my, it's like yeah, my 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 first time drinking, I waited until I won my first national championship in wrestling. Yeah. It was a high school one and I literally I was so disciplined. Yeah. That's all I wanted. Yeah. And everybody wanted me to drink at the parties after state championships, yeah. all American, all this stuff. And smoke pot, whatever, and I was like, "No, I I got I got uh-huh. stuff to do." I got stuff to do and I'll reward myself whenever I, I get yeah. there. And so uh, I won a championship like uh, cup, like a trophy, right? Yeah. That that you could fill it up with stuff. Yeah. Right. So so we <laughs> yeah. filled it up with vodka and uh, I thought I had 30 shots of vodka out of that the first uh-huh. night I ever had to drink. First time it ever hit my lips, I thought I had 30 shots, but it, it turns out that some of the adults around – uh, started filling up the bottle of vodka with water. So I actually only had 15 uh-huh. shots. Uh-huh. Um, and then they started like, oh shit, he's going to die of alcohol poison his first time ever drinking. So and you had your first, this is your first drink? First drink ever. You had your first drink. First of all, crazy story. Um, Not like as crazy yeah, uh, yeah. to me as yeah, like yeah. other people. Um, but you had your first drink in a championship 
trophy that you had received for all your hard work up to that point, including abstinence. Yep. I mean, that's like from a movie, right? Yeah, I guess so. You couldn't draw a crazier picture, right? And after that, gone. 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 I mean, I still did some stuff because I worked so hard to get uh-huh. there. And then I could, t- especially I switched from drinking to oxys. Yeah. Because I could train. It's convenient. Yeah. It's convenient. Yeah. And uh, and it didn't affect my training as bad. Yeah. As I didn't have as much drive, but like I wasn't as hungover mm-hmm. and wasn't as hurting as much. Well, I didn't feel pain. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so going right. into sparring and stuff, I could do that. That would then... <laughs> be so funny. Hey, you know what? My help after the gym is Oxycontin. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. Uh, dude, it was it was insane. It got to the point to where I was uh, start. Listen to how crazy this is. This is the insanity that 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 comes with the disease of oh. alcoholism and addiction. Is uh, I would start my skillet and to to put egg whites in uh-huh. there. I would have uh, from soaking it the night before. I was at least disciplined enough to do that. Steel cut oats, so I could cook my steel cut oats and put in fresh berries or mm. agave nectar. Start up my my uh, smoothie and my Vitamix, and then I would and I'm training. In the UFC, yeah. and I'm I'm starting up my vaporizer. <laughs> I'm taking my oxys, and I'm drinking straight whiskey or vodka, and then I'm headed out the door to go spar. Yeah. Grown men training for world championship fights, amazing. And uh, but amazing. but I'm making sure I'm eating healthy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm doing that, so I think I can do this too. Or I just couldn't stop. Yeah, once I started, I couldn't stop. Yeah, and then I couldn't stop starting. Right. So. Um, Anyways, going back to your story, I really want to hear it. Um, I just can relate so much. So. No, but what you're talking about is so incredibly important, right? Because that, and it's it's so just necessary. Um, because we're not promoting any one way of getting yeah, yeah, well, yeah, for sure. But it's just so important to at least talk about these stories of like we have very different backgrounds, we have very different like um, just stories leading up to the point, and. Uh, there's no one archetype mm. that will suffer from alcoholism. You know what I mean? It's truly like the great true denominator. Yeah. It can be any race, religion, color, anything. creed, like anybody from any anything. socioeconomic background. Like anything. anything. And you can't, you can't see it. Like yeah. there, like may, sometimes sure it might be clear, but like, like, like your position, you're an elite athlete. And on the inside, a different guy. Yeah. Crazy. I, I th- I've heard it one way where they say we all had different external circumstances, mm-hmm. but we all had a very similar internal condition. Yeah. And that's the disease. Yeah. And I didn't want to think it was a disease. Right. I was like, that's bullshit. That's right. weak. Yeah. Like, if I can do this, fight this or if i can do that or if i can spin this plate and spin that plate and keep them spinning like i will figure out the way to yeah defeat this right and it was cr- the insanity was i would go to co- get the best coaching in the world yeah whether it was for wrestling or yeah. boxing or kickboxing or jujitsu yeah. or even whenever i started the nonprofit, like started surrounding myself with mentors yeah. when it came to recovery there was so much shame wrapped around yeah. it so much embarrassment yeah guilt and self-condemnation sure. that I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And I couldn't ask for help yeah. or I wouldn't. And I definitely wouldn't seek 
coaching yeah. or like, or a tribe, a tribe of like, I'm in these fight camps. Yeah. I want to be around these fighters. And I just couldn't do that with recovery. I thought it was, I thought of like re- recovery scenes as like the old guys in a dilapidated a basketball right. gym, the metal chair, smoking cigarettes yeah. and drinking coffee and lifeless. Yeah. I was like, you can shoot me in the head yeah. before that's going to be my life. Right. It's, um, I've always had a theory about like 12 step stuff is that the reason I didn't do it for so long is because somewhere deep down, I knew it worked. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, maybe that was me. Somewhere too. deep down. I know, I like, it's just, I'm, just, I'm not like married to the idea, but I'm just kind of yeah. hypothesized. It's like, why didn't I? I tried everything else. I, not to fast forward, I'll get there, but, um, to your point about like figuring out way, like you're doing so much, uh, essentially, essentially to keep drinking, right? Yeah. Get people off my back and or so, prove to myself I can do this and this. I love. So I get to do that. Yeah. 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 I love the saying. Yeah. It's a problem when your drinking gets in the way of your work. But it's a real problem when your work gets in the way of your drinking. <laughs> I, I never heard that. Yeah, I that, never heard that's that. A, but... That's because oh, it's just oh, like, oh fuck, I gotta yeah. see the kids. Uh, <laughs> you know, man. Like, oh, bro, you you just reminded me on Kill Tony. Everyone's giving you a standing ovation, <laughs> yeah. and I think it was Tony or Brian Redman that goes, "What was better, that?" That or heroin. I'm like heroin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're just like, your face is like, what? That's no not question. even a question. No question. Oh, that's so crazy. And it's clear as day. Yeah. What I love about your story, and we're going to go back and mm-hmm. retrack, but brother, I think it's amazing that on your first appearance on Kill Tony, under a year, right at like six, seven, eight months of, yeah. of performing, I mean- he just, I mean, he gave a great props. He goes, man, there's something that happens when some guys get sober. Yeah. Like guys like Tim Dillon or Theo yeah. Vaughn, and they just start crushing it. Like it's totally. a new level. Robert Kelly, funny. Rich Voss, all of mate. What's a Joe List? Just one. Just shouting out. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know what I'm excited that you're on this podcast for? Because I'm going to be able to say, I got him on my show when. Yeah. When he was, it was just right after his first time. <laughs> there you go. Dance it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. it. Uh, but no, I, I, I had you on the show like on the early days. I got to see you, uh, you know, your first appearance. I got to see you still going and lining up to yep. get, get a second shot yep. to your name pulled out of the bucket. Yep. And then we, we crossed paths for a reason and a purpose and yeah. I had this opening. So Thanks. I was like, man, I'm excited to have Nat on. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, uh, everything kind of falls into place how it's mm. supposed to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not to get, uh, like too wishy-washy with it, but the big man, he's never wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? That's best to yeah. just my philosophy. No, that's good, man. I, I'm, I'm great with that. I, uh, I, I seen a, I seen a lady and, and one of the things say that specifically, and she pretty much just said that over and over again for like ten minutes. And I'm what not, was it? I'm not again. The big the, man. He's never wrong. Huh. You know, what I mean, it, it's always yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And I don't always feel that way. Right. You know, what I mean, it depends on how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that to be true. It's yeah. pretty neat to even think about nature, right? And yeah. how it all, everything works. Yeah. You know, everything I mean, works. It's amazing. Dude, it works better than anything. Yeah. 
it's like it's all miracles yeah from like the things that are living in the sea to yeah. the mountains to the yeah after my second suicide attempt and we're, we're getting back to your story no but I, no sweat no sweat after your after my second suicide attempt i got to sit on the beach i got trapped down in mexico um during covid yeah i went down there with a one way ticket not to come back and I've fallen back to addiction yeah. and had a, a surgery, hadn't been fighting. Um, I, I got a divorce, uh, COVID happened, and then I relapsed. Mm -hmm. And I was successful after the surgery, not going back to opiates except for the four weeks. Mm -hmm. And they were giving it to me for eight weeks and I got yeah. off of them early. But still, I think that physical allergy or that phenomenon yeah. of craving got set off again. Yeah. Because of the surgery. Yeah. And so then I'm white knuckling it again. Yeah. And then all shit breaks loose and I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. Peace. And yeah. it was two pilots, four flight attendants and me on the plane. There was nobody else. Yeah. It was like the last flight that they took out of there. Mm -hmm. Everything was already shut down, got trapped, attempted to take my own life uh, through overdose, a crazy amount of drugs. Mm -hmm. And, um, like five oxy eighties. So that's oh, like yeah. uh, 400 milligrams, oh, yeah. which is like, what is that? Five, uh, or 85 milligram pills. Yeah. Um, a half to three quarters of a bottle of tequila, mm -hmm. uh, a Sharpie size line of Coke. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, a bunch of other drugs. Yeah. Uh, five Xanax, two milligrams. Oh dude, and, that's a death wish. Yeah. You're starting to mix it. Yeah. I was Ooh. mixing it all because yeah. that was the purpose. Yeah. I'm going out. And when I woke up, like, Something like 16 hours later, I did mm -hmm. at noon, woke up at 2 a.m. the next morning, and I did a gas. It was like, <gasps> shit, I'm still here. Fuck, I'm alive. Yeah. Um, I went out and I, I watched. I, I got in my in my clothes, I got into the water. It was outside like Playa del Carmen, Tulum area. Uh -huh. And I went and got in the, I was thinking I was in jeans, and I felt so bad. My heart felt like I was beating out of my chest. And I went and I got in the water. And I'm sitting there and my knees are in the sand and waves are washing over mm. me and they're pushing me back. And, uh, it just feels like waves of shame. Mm. Every single one of them, shame, more shame. And I'm talking down to myself and then something in me was just like, be grateful. And yeah. I was like, the, my beat, heart was beating on my chest. That's I'm like, I'm, crazy. I'm grateful for this beating heart in my chest. Yeah. And then it's like, okay. I'm grateful for this breath mm -hmm. in my lungs. And there was a whisper of something, universe, big man upstairs, mm -hmm. God, um, that creative intelligence mm -hmm. that said, open your eyes. It, or it was me, but it was like something, my intuitive spirit said, open your eyes. And when I did, the sun broke on the horizon at that exact time, exact time. And... I watched the most majestic sunrise of my entire life. It, I'm partially colorblind, but mm -hmm. I saw more colors. And it was like reds and blues and oranges and oh, yeah. yellows. And, and every wave after that, it was like, because the wave comes over you and then goes out, right? It was like a wave of gratitude coming over me and that shame kind of leaving. And another wave of gratitude yeah. and another one of shame leaving and that was the moment i was like i'm going to treatment and uh Amazing. so man i've had these moments where it's like you know the big man's never wrong like that 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 masterpiece of a sunrise 
was painted and i would i literally thought yeah, this in the water i was like just for you just for me yeah and i was like wait a second this happens every day morning mm-hmm. and night and it happens all over the world mm-hmm. and we all get to see it and witness it and and it's just like whoa thousands of these masterpieces or millions of them uh all around the globe i, w- I want to share with you one yeah. one thing so i've been Please do. i've been recently for really the first time ever i've been getting back into like judaism i'm jewish but i never really practiced like we were just pretty much jewish and that's that's yeah. it um and i've been studying with a rabbi for the first time in my life it's been amazing here in austin correct cool it's i'll come with you sometime oh it's, it's the best i've never dude. been to a synagogue he'd love to have he's the Is best that how we say it synagogue tabernacle i'm trying to think uh i'm trying to think if he wants to be plugged that's okay no, i'm just thinking i think he would it's uh the yjp the young jewish professional shouts out mandy cool lavertov he's the man i'm pretty sure he wants this anyway okay uh, <laughs> i'll let you know i'll yeah. text you before but <laughs> sure but um nice no, man you can check him out yjp austin okay but um I'll so come with you to check it out sometime anytime he i was asking him specifically because i was really we, we really get into it and we study and most of it's just talking, going back and forth. And it, it's such a valuable thing to have that kind of spiritual advisor around. And I asked him like, what is like the, like spe- specifically the Jewish perspective on like what, like God's love looks like, like, what mm. is that? You know That's what a great I mean? Question. Cause it's like, I know what I feel and I know like what I choose to believe has saved me. But, just just me but i was like i just want to hear this guy like i mean this guy's always happy he's always got the most energy in the world i see shit thrown at him and it falls off like you know what i mean like this dude's got what i want Hmm. right so i asked him he's like he's like okay imagine you have been trying to have a child your whole life and you can't whatever Uh, it's your fault it's her fault doesn't matter what it is it just hasn't happened right and you're near the end of your life you're like on your way out, right? And somehow your wife becomes pregnant and that child is born. And for the first time, all you've ever wanted, all you've ever wanted was a child, right? And that child is you. Now take that love and multiply it by a thousand and we're not even close to the number, hmm. right? And that experience is happening between you and God and only you and God and nobody else and everyone else on the whole planet at the exact same time. <laughs> and I was just like, like just rocked by it. You know wow. what I mean? Cause he was like, it's just for you. It's just for you. It's your thing. And everybody else is separately and together at the same time. Wow. And I was like, dude, that rules. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, I was like, that just rocks. Um, like I've shared it yeah. all over the place. It's just That's like, cool to think about. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Something you you should ask him about. There's this, uh, I think it's a book. Uh, you probably know it um, or of it, but it's like the Jewish Book of Legends. Mm-hmm. And there's someone named Yoni, okay. and there's this principle behind basically prayer circles. Yeah. And there's this legend, but I guess it actually happened. Yeah. And it was in that time, like I don't know, 400 years of silence mm-hmm. and uh, no prophets or anything like heard from God. And yeah. Uh, I forget who I heard sharing this, but basically there was a drought and people were dying in famine. Yeah. And this guy finally, everyone was saying, no, no one hears from God anymore. He stopped talking. 
And so he literally went and said, no, like the God that I think of or believe in mm-hmm. um, isn't going to let everyone die off this face mm-hmm. of the earth just from famine and yeah. no rain. So he went and grabbed a staff and he drew a circle in the sand and around himself. And he said, I am not leaving this circle until it rains. Yeah. And everyone thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it started raining. And he said something about, anyways, how it goes is huge raindrops come because uh-huh. he said it's going to rain like uh-huh. crazy. And it did. And then he edits it and kind of says, no, 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 not like this. And then it was like kind of tiny raindrops. And then yeah. all of a sudden uh, he edited his prayer again and said, you know what? I want rains that are going to like bless the grounds and the harvest uh-huh. so that it helps the children. <laughs> so it doesn't flood. Uh-huh. And so that's not enough right. to like help. Um and basically the principle behind it was something about like praying these big audacious dreams or prayers and like kind of circling around mm-hmm. those visualizing yeah. that this is what I want. And as they start to come to pass, like editing them and uh-huh. believing that uh-huh. like these, these things aren't just, you say it once, like mm-hmm. you can continue to like edit and, yeah. and grow it and get it better. And yeah, and, and it's, per- it's the evolution of faith. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I liked it. So ask him about Yoni. I will. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Yoni. I might just be thinking of that because he's over at Kill Tony. That's right. But shout <laughs> out Yoni. It's, yeah, it's shout out Yoni. Uh, best barbecue. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's Yoni the Circle Maker or something like that. That's cool. Yeah. Really cool. Really cool. I don't know that story. That's okay. awesome. Ask him because I'm sure he's got a lot more wisdom than me just trying to remember it from years and years ago. I love those guys. Like it. That's why it's so so cool to like whatever you're denomination or lack of like whatever it is just to have someone around like that to chat with because they got the story for whatever wherever you're at yeah. you know what i mean like doesn't matter how unique of the thing you think you, mm. you're dealing with they'll tell you like a story yeah unique but perspective we need that because yeah. we need those like cosmic mirrors in our life that yeah. kind of show us a reflection of like who we are how we can get better yeah. everything else fightfortheforgotten.org you can go check out fight for the forgotten the foundation that i started It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We've built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org, join our fight club. So let's go back to your story because- sure. We haven't really dug into it of like sure. the darkness. The, the nitty. Yeah. So we left off, I had just started and immediately I'm like a daily user and like pretty much everybody sees it. It's not like um, I'm having difficulty hiding it. Um, and But I just, I just keep 
making money and I just keep using and you know I'd like tortured a couple girls into being my, my girlfriend <laughs> not literally but yeah. I mean, like <laughs> like I just feel awful for them that they had to be with me <laughs> um during this time and um you know stuff's like coming and going and um everyone else is just kind of like continuing with life and I'm like just kind of right here and I'm pretty good with it for a while um and uh eventually um I'm dating this girl and the real big turn was like a breakup and it really was not the breakup it was just that like I had the opportunity to like be alone and like feel my thoughts like for one of the first time times in a while because like now i have like just like one thing to actually be sad about and i've ignored my feelings for so so long because on paper i've got everything that i think i'm supposed to have i've got the money the girl's hot the stuff's coming in and i'm like, high all the time and i got buddies that i run around with and stuff like that um and my buddy mason smith who was on that same kill tony He's living with me. He knows all about all this oh, stuff. Right? I mean, wow. So, so he'll, he'll, he'll know all these stories. But he uh, is watching this. And uh, I, I break up with this girl. And then th there was this real corner that was uh, rounded right there where I was asked to no longer be living in my place where I was living. I just shared an apartment with some, some roommates because it was just too much trouble. Because one thing was that uh, and I'm sure you've heard about this, but when I would use, I'd have almost a reverse effect rather than just like nod out or whatever. I'd be like extra. Yeah, I'd be a lot. That's me. You, you know, you know exactly. I'd be like hyper and like sometimes it's great and like buddy, buddy and I'm funny. But a lot of times I'm like just kind of crazy, like making noise. Like I need a lot from you. I'm shaking you. I'm jumping around. And if I'm really fucked up, I'm just like, I, I just look crazy. You know what I mean? And, um, and like I, I just would get really dark. Like I'd like just punch stuff and this and that, and like just I'd black out and like come to and like you know just torn up rooms and stuff like that. And it was just like a horror. Like the last, the last roommate you'd want, so they asked me not to live there anymore. And I ended up getting a room in like a boarding house, mm. which is just like, like you know, isolation to the max. And it's just me, all this money, and at that point I was somewhere between twenty five and thirty. Percocet 30 milligrams a day. Um, so it's like a multi-thousand dollar a day habit. Wow. And, um, and so we're talking about like roughly 700, 900 uh, milligrams of Percocet. Wow. A day. Correct. Um, wow. And so that specific period of like that intensity of use was maybe maxed out at six months. And that's when I first, like, that was the first time where I actually tried to stop, but it was, like, so half-assed. It was, like, I stopped. I experienced any degree of withdrawals for the first time, like, just even the beginning yeah. of withdrawals. And I was, like, fuck that. Like, yeah. I'll just keep going forever. Withdrawals is torture. It's, I mean, it's the worst, worst thing. And I eventually called my same buddy that I was hustling with. It was, like, my business partner. And he had been living in South Carolina, Charleston at the time. And everyone knew about my using, but this was truly the first time that i called this guy and i was like it's really bad i'm scared you know what i mean like i've been scared i've been lonely i've been like i've i've had like no love for myself at all um even like the simplest things have become difficult to do like i'm i'm like even the dealing 
is stopping because like just the thought of like kind of going outside and having to deal with people has now like really like mortified me you know i mean the most simplest things i remember like i'd be afraid to like go to the bathroom because i'd have to like bump into somebody along the way you know i mean like just it was really bad and i called this kid and one of our buddies picked me up and i like took a just a shitload of percocet like i don't even know how much like 30 40 of them jumped on a plane to south carolina and the plan was to just detox on my friend's couch that was the best idea we had at this point i'm maybe 21 something like that um and i experienced like full-blown a week of true coming off of like you know that eight let's say 800 milligrams a day um percocet withdrawal which don't let anyone fool you is it's it's the same it's the same when you're kicking it's the same as IV heroin. It's the same as at this point. It's like it's it was, I mean, just torture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like no sleep, shitting yourself, manic episodes, uh, like day nightmares. I'm unable to differentiate like my nightmares from reality, like disassociating. Um, truly, like just the worst, like feeling you could imagine. That was the first time I experienced that, um, and it was. It was crazy that like you know my friend had really little experience like with any of this or he's just watching me at like you know turn into this animal and so i was there i i somehow got through full withdrawals um and then like hung around for another few days and i was like you know what i feel like i've really rounded a corner like i'm feeling a little bit physically better i'm not like as sick as i wasn't it's like time to go back to boston and like keep making money and just like continuing living as i have and as we know and have discussed in regards to like not changing anything other than stopping the drugs, nothing changed. I didn't, con- I didn't change like I didn't establish any kind of healthy patterns. I didn't have any re- program recovery. And I think within three weeks I was back on. And then at that point, I quickly ran out of cash and uh, proceeded to a couple of years that was essentially like there were no really big events other than it would be like use for a month get broke come up like with some kind of like scam like lie to somebody make a couple bucks or like just get an odd job for a little while to like work up enough money to be high for a little bit score like a suboxone somewhere to like get for those who don't know suboxone just assists with your uh, withdrawal symptoms and it really does essentially negate them um, but and it's got its own dangers but that's a different discussion yeah getting hooked on that too it's so. it's very real it's very real um, and it's a very taboo subject within the recovery communities in general sure. the idea but, is like but negating it can help it, I mean listen from my experience I'll get to this when I get down it's like if you're like a real opiate addict a real heroin addict like I don't I just like don't know how you're just gonna like completely kick that was not my experience like i did have medication assisted recovery in the beginning of my very early recovery i don't count it as like my sobriety date but like that like i wouldn't be here without it so anyway it's just like these years of just like kind of like pulling off some like lying to somebody lying to a parent lying to a friend stealing from friends uh working a couple jobs like like living with one parent or the other or crashing on a friend's couch and just like this kind of like gray floating space of like 
withdrawing for a couple of days, coming up on some money, getting either some suboxone to feel a little better, just like this limbo of nothing is building. There's no good future in sight. There's no like signs of things starting to get actually better long term. It was just like one step forward, two steps back mm-hmm. for like really a couple of years. Yeah, feeling of being in quicksand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that and it stayed there until and then I, somewhere along the line I like uh, it was pretty uneventful just like a friend of mine had heroin, I was doing the heroin and then I was just like, well, it's cheaper and I'm doing the heroin. And if it was up to me, I would just do Percocet, they're a better drug. You know, I mean, they feel better. It's really hard to get like pure heroin, but um I just end up on heroin and in Boston at that point, it's like pretty much just fentanyl. Wow. Um, and so then it's just that I'm like smoking it. I'm sniffing it. The, the one line is like not injecting it. Right. Right. And then somewhere around like 23, maybe at the end of like 22, um, I was with a buddy. This was so crazy. I was doing the job was like, I was, I was working for a car dealership, cold calling previous clients that were either service clients or had bought their car there to try to get them to trade a business development, like try to trade in your car and I'll sell you a car on the way. Like there's some bullshit. And a buddy of mine who knew I like partied this kid, I'd never seen anything like it. He was like 25 or something like that. And he liked to drink and do drugs. But within the like two, three months I was working there, he did his first Percocet and became an Ivy heroin user within three months. I'd never seen anything like it. And I remember talking to him about it and be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is insane. And then eventually that same kid was the first guy who shot me up. Wow. You know I mean? We're just hanging out. And I was just like, dude, I'm, you know, I'm sick and I don't have much. And I just want like the most for my money. Cause there was never any like wealth, right? Like there's no like actually having money. Let's just all go on the, to stuff. Right. And even if I came up on a little bit of cash, I just know it's not like I'm not holding on to it. Yeah. So um then I'm IVing. That that made it What's that for for me? I mean I I kind of I mean I'm also thinking about for the listeners what's that like? But I had a moment that uh <clears throat> so I I was when I relapsed I was buying weed mm-hmm. and I can basically turn weed into oxy uh just smoking enough of it yeah 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 sure uh i I could do three four vape three or four five vape pens in one day yeah um like the big like one gram cartridges Uh and stuff it's with every inhale if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it right right. i'm pretty much breathing weed yeah 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 yeah. there was no oxygen (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. thc only and uh i went over and got this and some people came into this house and anyways, they were like stealing, what are those like robotic vacuums? Those, uh. Roombas? Roombas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's, a, but, but, that's such a funny hustle. Yeah. They were like stealing those and selling those uh, for drug money. And I'm like, what are they doing? They're asking me if I want a Roomba. I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> Dude, that's, that's so, that was, such a funny thing. I, I mean, I was kind of like, well, how much? <laughs> but, yeah. I, at the same time, I'm like, no, I don't want to get. Anyways, um, but I'm buying the weed, and then I start smelling the smell. I never had anyone offer me heroin from mm-hmm. sniffing it, smoking it, anything like mm-hmm. that. And I, I smell this smell, and the guy that was the weed dealer, um, anyways, like he's selling me that, 
and this pretty attractive female walks out with this guy and I guess they were cooking the heroin back there mm -hmm. and they have three not uh, well they have three needles loaded up which I guess is for probably the dealer mm -hmm. and them two mm -hmm. but she looked at me and I looked at it and I guess she saw a look on my eyes in mm -hmm. my eyes and so she offered me uh, and I go no I've never done that and when I said no I never done that she got giddy mm. and he also goes oh she loves shooting people up for the first time mm. loves it she's like please 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 it's gonna be so great have you ever had it and, and I'm like no and I'm mm -hmm. an oxy guy yeah she was all wait till you feel this you know yeah. and wanted to shoot me up the dealer miracle moment in my life dealer grabbed me by the shirt like as if almost like the cartoon or the bully in the mo movie like yeah, pulled yeah. me up by the shirt as much as he could, which he couldn't lift me, but he was like pulling me up by the shirt and turned me around and said, you get the fuck out of here. Fuck yeah. He goes, he goes, I, Whew, I got goosebumps. Yeah. He's like, I, anyways, he said, I know some of the stuff you do. Get the fuck out of here. You're going to die from this. Mm -hmm. Go, go now. And I left there and I just remember thinking like that guy might've saved my life. Oh yeah. Um, he probably saved my life because I don't do things like halfway, yeah. like who, what, anyone that's ever around me, no matter who it is, say they've never seen anyone that can consume as much as I do. Right. And, um, of anything, of anything. And the so, first time we hung out, you're like, yo, let's go smash like 12 pints of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's right. Which that's by right. the way, was I, excellent. No, dude, <laughs> like, Jenny's is the best, but, um, I actually, I don't think I, I think this was before new year's, right? Yeah. And I was not eating ice cream for all of 2021. Oh yeah. I had some in 2022 to see if I could like just healthily. It's I can't count how many pints I've had in 20. It's oh, I'm sorry, a huge problem. Anyway, keep, keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, uh, no, <laughs> no. But I uh, I introduced uh, Nat to the world's best ice cream, Jenny's uh, ice cream, and it's incredible. But it is, and uh, dude, I just I remember they saved my life. But what what is that like for someone that? Um, I'm in a good place now. Sure. I just went out on 100 days sober, went partying, uh, sober on roller skates, yeah. and and had a blast. Fantastic. Uh, but um, it's uh, so I can say that I I you know you're kind of just chasing like first of all like being well, and you're always chasing like that same high as the first time, and you don't really get it. But I being you do get like that first time again. Hmm. So for someone who'd been an addict for so long. It was almost like to come back to that place of really like genuine like oh like that one thing that really felt like it like saved my life like I can't believe I'm like feeling this again. For people who have no um, experience with opiates and, or just mild, it's um, and this is just my experience. Everyone has a different one. Some people just don't like opiates. Which when you tell me that, I think you're a fucking alien. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm like you're out of your mind. Um, yeah, like my mom would be like, I just didn't like the, feel I didn't feel like I was in control and I didn't like that. And I'm like, <laughs> you're insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some people say it makes their skin crawl. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's like, great. This is, yeah. yeah. Um, but like your whole body, I mean, your whole body feels amazing. It's like really akin to like an orgasm. You could say like, it's, mm. it's, um. Like a full body orgasm? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like, uh, I, I, it's like, I used to do this bit, but it was getting a little close to this other guy's bit. So I retired it, but um it's like feel it's like warm honey is your mm. blood is replaced with like warm honey you know what i mean 
You're just your whole body. You're like, oh my god, like it's crazy. <laughs> I actually, there's a really good scene in this in the sequel to that movie we we're talking about, Train Spotting Two, where they shoot up these guys relapse and they play this really intense music, and it gets kind of like the colors change in the film and it becomes almost abstract. And I remember vividly thinking, I was like, oh yeah, that is kind like. I couldn't believe that they had captured so well, like the overall feeling of like uh, a shot of dope. Between the sound and the visuals, they had really so. Watch, there's this watch the relapse scene in Train Spying Two. Okay. That's the best I could describe shooting up as. Okay, I'll go watch that. Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty close. Um, so I do that, um, and then it's just like again, just like with everything else, there's no thought of doing anything else. Right, I'm not like, oh, okay, that was fun. Now I'm gonna go back to sniffing it. Um, and it gets really bad really quickly. I think when you start I IVing, I think I, I it's at least I'm like I'm just like thinking uh, my hypothesis. Like, then you can really start to see like the physical, like it, it starts to show up on you a little more because it's just like direct to the direct to the system. Um, and I, I've had a time in in Africa where uh, I had malaria and my veins were collapsing because of uh, dehydration and oh, stuff. But I, I've, I've seen guys at treatment with track marks and things like that. Like, have you experienced that kind of oh, stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had tracks. They were you like- bust oh, through veins and uh-huh. lots of pain. Pretty quickly, like I ruined a couple of my veins. I had to have friends like help me find them in weird places. I was always a chubby guy. So I like, it was nowhere near as easy for me to find a vein. Like mm-hmm. I would do it, I'd figure it out. But then the worst, this is the craziest thing. If you miss a shot, right, which is you think you have your vein and then maybe it misplaces and then you just shoot like into your body, you just create an abscess and you're like, uh, you know what I mean? You just create a, a it hurts because you just have this intense pressure that's not supposed to be in your body. And now there's just like a mass of heroin and water in your body. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's A, going to be an infection and assist. But all you're thinking is, I wasted heroin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all you're thinking <laughs> about is like, oh, now I'm going to be sick or that's just, I'm down however much money that was. Like, yeah. no, I'm like, well, I'll deal with that. But now, you know, I mean, this, me not having the heroin is the worst thing. Yeah. Meaning dope sick. Meaning Correct. like you, you'll go through the withdrawals. Correct. Wow. Um, it's, I, I, I mean, I can't, re- dude, I remember being, cause you're so mad, like, you know, first of all, you're. In active addiction, your whole brain is fried. You're not. You're just not operating on the same plane as other people. You're you're scared. You're paranoid. Your emotions are all out of whack. You haven't been developing where other people have been, and like you're either formative years or wherever you're at. So it's like I just remember being like so angry and so mad already, and I'm just like all I'm trying to do is feel a little better by taking this shot. And I missed, mm. and I'm um, I could that that would be like the angry that might be the angriest I've ever been. You yeah. know what I mean? Not like so many other things are happening. I'm, I'm like already fucked up. Now I just fucked up even more. Yeah, I didn't get anything right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember just being like pulling my hair. You know what I mean? And it, it's not, and I'm not feeling that way about that. I haven't talked to my dad in two weeks, mm. who's done like nothing but support me. You know what I mean? I'm not thinking about the fact that. Uh, like I've screwed over all my best friends. You know, I know it sound like a broken record, but I'm not even thinking about that shit because the addiction won't let me. Because if I do think about it, maybe I'll think about getting well. Mm. But it won't. But I don't think about. It. I'm just worried about me 
right now, self-centered to the core, mm-hmm. right? To the core, mm-hmm. so deep. So it's it's really bad at this point. At this point, what it looks like is I'm really just scraping by. Uh, I was living with another dope junkie, and I um, I was really sick this one day, and I asked him for some stuff because he had like he just had some, and he was like, "Go beg," and I was like, "No, I've never, I don't do that." And he's like, "What do you do when you're sick?" And I'm like, I'm sick. I've like maybe I figure something out. Maybe call someone. Someone gives us money or steal something or like whatever. He's like, no, you got like taught me how to beg. So I remember being like, I'm li- I'm living in this like uh, shitty apartment in <laughs> on Route Nine in Brookline, Massachusetts, on the corner of Brookline and Newton, Massachusetts. Which, if you know, they're affluent neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like I'm not in the hood. You know, what I mean, like my parents are paying for my room. They thought it wasn't going to go like that because I had a job when I first got it, but that's gone immediately. You know what I mean? Oh, dad, something came up. Like, you know what I mean? And they're just like, God damn. And so I'm having like my basic necessities met through support. And then I'm going to beg on the corner in front of my house. Wow. With like, and I like, like an, like a piece of shit. I'm fucking putting like dirt on my face to look dirtier. Wow. Cutting holes in my shirt and shit like disgusting right disgusting behavior I'm saying shit I'd like to do that i think at one point i said like i was a veteran like just mm. disgusting behavior mm. you know what i mean and like again i didn't think twice about it you know yeah but I mean? something you would never do sober i mean like in in, in this like you know what i mean like in your system um, wouldn't even without that darkness kind of i don't know calling out to you right. I, i've heard it said like when when that calls you answer oh yeah that's it. That's yeah. number one guy. And so, you know, those kind of behaviors continue. I remember this one thing. It's sort of a funny story for like other addicts, alcoholics, maybe not. <laughs> but me and this kid, the kid who shot me off for the first time, we had this idea for a scam. Trying to think if I'm like getting anybody in trouble here. I don't think so. I think we're well past the time and I, I haven't said the kid's name. But this kid somehow came about, yeah, I'll, I'll this guy somehow came about this information. There's a company that used to deliver meat. And it was apparently- I like meat. Yeah, we all like meat. Yeah. And they're a cash business, right? Okay. And it had somehow come into the information of what their roots were, right? And so our plan was to rob the meat truck driver, right? Because apparently they carry like big stacks of cash. They drop off meat, pick up cash from the whoever and that. My friend, who was like significantly more of like a tough guy than me, like I'm playing getaway driver, we pull up, he puts on a balaclava, he has a gun, and he goes to attempt to rob this meat truck. And he goes around this corner. He's like, we don't want the car to be in the same. If the camera picked me up, I'm going to run around the corner, and then we're going to drive away with this money. Um, so he goes and do that, and it's it, it's high octane. I'm freaking out. I'm not yeah. like, yeah, it's not second nature to me. I'm not that guy by any means. You know what I mean? I've done like some shit, but I'm not this dude that i'm just like yeah i'm gonna go get it like that's just not me you know i mean i'm like literally like oh my god oh my god oh my god and in the back of my head i'm like big score lots of dope i'm not gonna be sick for a couple weeks maybe you know i mean like hell yeah holy shit i'm holding on this kid runs he comes back no balaclava no money no gun face covered in blood 
Oh, shit. Got his ass whooped. <laughs> he jumps in the car, and I was like, did you get it? And he's like, no, I didn't fucking get it. They kicked the shit out of me, dude. <laughs> he put his car, he put the gun in the window. The guy cracks the gun out. Wow. And, like, kicked the door out of him and proceeded to beat the shit. Wow. I, like, beat my friends out. He banged him up. Wow. Like, put the mitts on him. Don't go after the meat, meat truck driver. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, so you didn't get the money? Like, what the, I'm like, what the fuck? Now I'm sick again. It's like, oh man, crazy. Rinse, repeat. Yeah, right? rinse, repeat. So what got you sober, man? Yeah. So, so we're right around the end there. So this continues for some time. Yeah. And um, I, uh, by the way, wild story. Crazy, so crazy. <laughs> so really, and I, and I say this all the time because this was just what I was feeling when I when I got sober was. Uh, what I had been experienced for at this point a couple of years was that any glimmer of hope was gone. Um, was truly, truly like what, truly what it was, was more like there'd been a lot of bad things that happened, bad things I had done and things I felt shame for. Um, but it was more so that for a matter of years at this point, it didn't matter if I had enough stuff like for the next morning or um or even for the next week for that matter every morning i woke up i didn't want to wake up and um i had nothing to look forward to so even if there was like some girl that i convinced to come over and i was like maybe gonna get laid which like never really happened anymore you know Mm. or even if maybe maybe once in a blue fucking moon i'd like end up at a concert or something like that i just never look forward to it mm. like there's just nothing that was filling me up and it was just dark dude my world was so small i was in this tiny little apartment i was pissing in a bucket you know what i mean like because i again afraid to go to the bathroom i was so scared and um i just been feeling that way for so long that it was like i can't and again a thing they say is like i can't imagine going on like this this isn't life Hmm. and it hasn't been for so long but i'm just like maybe just like somewhat ready enough to like think that or feel that or whatever and i've been so scared i can't imagine going on like this and i also can't imagine changing i just don't know what to do and you have to understand that at this point and i haven't really got into it because it never stuck was I had tried to get sober, but it would be like, okay, I'm just going to smoke weed. That would last like two days. I'm going to go cold turkey and then take acid because it's a spiritual thing and whatever. And I just end up back on dope fast, like so fast. It was super futile attempts. I'm going to try getting into yoga. I'm going to try this and this and that. I'm going to try and get into lifting, like whatever. Like, first of all, nothing stuck. And second of all, nothing, nothing kept me sober. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't get sober. Um, and if I did, could for a second, I wouldn't stay. So um, things had just been so miserable, so, so miserable. Then my buddy who had floated the idea of like 12-step stuff to me, um, who was from our hometown, and he'd been like the first junkie and the first guy that got sober. He's not today. Um, that's just how this thing works sometimes. I asked him, and I was like, and this is just one guy talking to another guy. But he was like, yeah, man, like you can go to rehab or detox and you can end up like you can do like IOP stuff after that. And like if you really need it in the beginning, you might want to consider medication assisted recovery um, for the beginning. Um, But where I found like any kind of actual success were were 12 step meetings. 
And, um, you know, I checked it out. I hated it. People were very kind and I hated that. You know what I mean? Yeah. People were like very excited to see me. Hmm. And I was like, you have no idea, right? You don't know who I am. And I was like, come to find like, they know who I am way better than I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're so, they're so like, you know, but it was just, it was just so bad for so long, so scary, so joyless, so hopeless, um, and just so dark and small that um, I was, the, the only thing that changed was I was willing to take a suggestion from someone who had been there. Because at that point, I was, I was getting my fucking sobriety advice from people who weren't sober, mm. just like my buddies or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did that a lot. You know, like... So the crazy idea came to mind. I was like, if I'm trying to change something, maybe I'll ask someone who did. Yeah. And that was just like a novel idea somehow. And I, again, we talk about like the ins and outs of it. It's like, that's what I really believe. That's why it's like, if I really wanted to try to get sober, I like I would have at that point. And I just, as much as it feels like, no, I really tried, I swore thousands of times i can't mm. keep doing this i can't keep hurting people i can't keep waking up like this i can't keep doing this to myself i can't keep doing this to others i'm not a promise breaker i'm not a loser i'm supposed to be doing more it doesn't matter how many times i said it how much if you have to, do you want to say sober yeah i'm lying and i don't even know it mm. and so whatever happened man i just at that point took the suggestion and like I was kind of, you know, I took my time with it. It wasn't like it just all stuck. Like I'd go to meeting every now and then and just keep fucking up and like make up these little rules and games for myself and keep fucking up and shit kept happening. I can tell you, I can tell you specifically the first time that I really understood what we talk about as a step one, which was really scary. But um, I had um, a couple months removed from drugs and alcohol and I was on Suboxone. And I was going to meetings and I had a sponsor and I was start. I was like meeting with him a little bit, but I was being like disingenuous about a lot of stuff and I was still selling drugs and I was still doing all like other stuff. Cause I like got back into that. Trying to, hmm. And I did in the very, in the beginning of my sobriety, I, I, I kept doing that, which I just really wouldn't recommend. It really was incredibly painful to be sober and still doing non sober things. And I'm not knocking drug dealing, like, yeah, go, yeah. go sell drugs just for me as someone who's like trying to be well spiritually. It doesn't work if you're like going to a meeting, hanging out with your sober buddies, getting a text, being like, I got to go. And they're like, where you got to go? And I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, yeah. like that's <laughs> not going to work. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, anyway, what I was, was saying is I had a couple months and I had weaned myself off of my Suboxone because I really didn't want to end up like a lot. Like I had a lot of buddies that were just like lifelong Suboxone addicts at this point. And that was like the medical recommendation. Right, they're like, well, now you're just on some boxing. It's like taking a nail out of your foot that you stepped in and replacing it with a screw. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. That's just my opinion. Again, it's a yeah, really yeah. people really have plenty of opinions. I'm not saying mine's right, but um, I had a couple months removed from drugs and alcohol. Like I said, at that point, I was calling it sober. I don't today, but. I weaned myself off of the Suboxone. I was maybe like two weeks off of any Suboxone. I'd like slowly lowered my dosage with uh, the advisory of like some close friends and medical professionals, but um, close friends that had been there. And um, 
I was staying at my grandmother's house because the place I had a lease at, there's active addicts living there. Uh, man, and I was honestly pretty stoked about life, right? And I woke up in the middle of the night. Um, and I, I, I'd never needed to use so bad. Sober, like you know, actually sober, like a couple right. couple weeks, and just like just not ready to like really let it go. And I woke up in the middle of the night. I remember I took out my phone. I was like about to call like one of the you know one of my guys that for some reason I still had the number. And I'm like, nah, you can't do that. And then I called my sponsor, and it's the middle of the night. Like he didn't pick up. And he he doesn't. Need, that's not his job. Yeah. And I called a sober buddy. He didn't pick up. And then I tried to pray. And I prayed for like 10 seconds and then I called the guy and then I hung up and then I called my old roommate because the guy didn't pick up on a couple rings and he didn't pick up and I'm going and I'm going and I'm going. I'm trying to pray, trying to call my sponsor, trying to call a sober buddy, trying to call the guy, just Russian roulette. And eventually my old roommate picks up and even he, when I'm like, listen, man, I got to get well. And he's like, what are you talking about? I thought you had a couple months. I was like, dude, I don't know. I just... I got and he's like man I'm not I can't help you and I was like look man you can either open the door when I come through because I'm coming through or I can just go to Mass Ave which is the intersection of Massachusetts Avenue and Melania Cass Boulevard in downtown Boston which is like ground zero for drug addiction it's as bad if not worse than the homeless situation's ever been in downtown Austin it's horrifying um, and it's really heartbreaking I'm either going to go there and get burned a couple times, get my ass kicked, but I'm going to get what I need. Like, that's where I'm at. And he was like, fuck, dude, like, come through. And I called an Uber. It's like a 15-minute Uber. And not even by, by the point I relapsed. In this Uber, walking out of my grandma's place, everyone was so happy that I was really trying to get well. Everyone was so proud. And I was excited maybe just a little bit for like maybe the first time that things were starting to get like just a tiny, tiny bit better. I'm like literally crashing on a couch with my grandma's. Man, and I needed to, I needed it so bad. And uh, I'm in the Uber and I'm just crying. And I hadn't even picked up yet, but the decision had been made mm. and I couldn't, there was nothing, me, like Nat, just the guy, there was nothing I could do about it. There was nothing, it was in the cards. Man, and that feeling... The way I was crying, I don't know ever when I've cried like that. I didn't, I didn't cry like that when I've lost friends and family like that. I was, I just, I recognize, I, that was the first time I really got, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm really different from other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just not powerless, power, powerless, truly. Yeah, it, true. it held the power over you. It was, that was it. That, that feeling of, it's not just that when I do pick up. It's bad because we get that part. That's easy to understand. It's if I'm left up to my own devices, anything on this plane of existence, it, I'm gonna. And that was the first time I ever got that. And then I went on the worst run, just two weeks. Those two weeks were worse because we talked about it only gets worse. Yeah. Those two weeks were like, dude, it was, it was like, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Like, I there's there. I don't. I would. Ne I wouldn't wish this on any person who's ever done the worst monstrosities. I wouldn't. It was the feeling was beyond hell. Hmm. Yeah, living hell or beyond. Literally, literally. literally. Wow. And 
some people from the meeting showed up. They just showed up. I made like a couple calls when I was fucked up, just crazy babbling. And they fucking showed up and they dumped my shit and they dragged me to a meeting high, high off my ass. There's people that might be listening that were at this. They know what I'm talking about. Wow. I was jumping on people's backs <laughs> and they didn't kick me out because we don't do that. You know what I mean? And um, I just returned to my sponsor and I was like, I was, you know, you just tell me what to do. And that was it. And that was it. And I don't know what changed. Like, I don't know if it, all it was was that I just had to experience that to really get, like, just how licked I am. But that was it. I never I never looked back. At that point, I, at that point, I was like, bro, you tell me to do push-ups. I'm doing push-ups. You tell me to do jumping jacks. I'm doing jumping jacks. You just, you tell me, man. It's not me anymore. You tell me. And then what he proceeded to teach me as, as we all come in, he was like, it's not me either. Mm -hmm. I'm just happy to help you how to get help you get there you know what i mean well i think that's that's something really powerful and thank you for sharing man this is powerful man uh i think what's been so cool about the judgment i had against 12-step programs yeah and then like experiencing it the first time where i was half-assing it yeah and this time like actually doing it uh like for instance like a fifth step yeah. a lot of times is is you know five six seven eight hours yeah for somebody yeah i've now done eight different times of it uh, -huh. uh on just this one fifth step yeah uh rolling fifth step and and my sponsor has been there with me for two three four five hours yeah. at a time eight different times yeah. in a row just selflessly giving me his all yeah. and i'm like every time i'm like thank you and he turns it around and says thank you yeah huh and I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. Thing me. He goes, I'm just getting to give the gift that was given to me, man. 100%. And he's lost like 48 people to this disease. Yeah. 48 people. Yeah. He's lost them. And he's talking about close friends, family. Uh -huh. And uh, he's been through it. And so, like he says, look, if you're willing, like I'm, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been crazy because I used to, and the other guys that have been helping me. Anyways, the thing that I think was I thought people would like, that I could just do it half-assed or yeah. I think they thought that I thought they would chase me or something, but yeah. like now it's like, no, I need this. I need it. Right. I gotta have it. Um, because like this thing can kill me yeah. can and will if I don't do this. 100%. So in, in kind of closing, um, last like five, 10 minutes, what, what do you think? Like this podcast is called overcome. Yeah. And I named it that before I had this real understanding of addiction, that is like addiction is always going to be in a process of yeah. overcoming. Right. Not that you have totally overcome it. Right. But I think there's an interesting perspective of like the difference between being cured and recovered. Yeah. And like, it's a broken bone heals stronger than before. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it can't be broken again. Right. And so I feel that like charged up, strengthened, but I know that I got to protect it and, yeah, and, yeah. and broken. But for you now, you're close to five years sober. Yeah. You are a rising star in the comedy scene. I'll say Thank that you. for you. Thank you. Because you are. Thank, that's very kind. You are, man. It's Thank epic you. to watch Thanks. and to see you and to know you like it's special. Yeah. And that's a gift that's been given to you in this life of sobriety, recovery. Yeah. But what is, what is overcoming to you mean? And then what are you going to do in this life of, 
of recovery or overcoming, like, like what opportunities has this opened up to you? Yeah, man. Um, so, I mean, you got, you got, you know, you got sober, you got your life, Mm. you know what I mean? And one of the things that people don't get is like, you learn who you are for the, really the first time, I think. Hmm. Because I might have had a value system before, but like it didn't really do anything for me. So in terms of, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head is that, and, and it's so crazy. It doesn't make sense for, I think, a lot of people that either haven't been through what we've been through or like just haven't arrived at some kind of a spiritual solution on their own terms. Um, is like you're talking about your sponsor sitting with you for your fifth step. It's like, and like you're doing through your own work and like what we do at the meetings and stuff is like when you give it back to somebody else, like everything else works out. So in terms of overcoming, there there's like the really literal way of looking at it, right? It's like here's the problem and I can like pick myself up by my bootstraps and and overcome that problem. But as you know, we almost look at it a little differently. Whereas like the problem's me, right? And the only own the only way I have found personally to fix that problem is to forget about that and see what I can do for somebody else. And that's why you'll hear anyone who's like worth their salt in a recovery community of any nature will tell you the greatest gift is sticking around long enough that you can either help someone or just watch someone else's lights turn on mm. just that first glimmer of hope. Mm. Cause that, even that takes a little time. It was like just that kid that came in angry like me and mad. And he didn't like, he didn't believe in you guys. He didn't believe you knew how he felt. He didn't believe this thing would work for sure. And then he just came around and like accepted a little bit of this love that we give and all of a sudden, dude, that his shoulders just drop a little bit. And he's sitting in his seat. And then you watch him laugh, right? Yeah. And you're like, you know what I mean? You watch a kid and you get you crack him up. And he's, because you can't really laugh unless you're well. Mm. You can laugh, but then it goes back to the dark right away. Mm. I was just talking about this the other way. So if I can give back in any way, in any way, the problems just go away. Hmm. And I remember thinking like, okay, I got to get X, Y, and Z now that I'm like a little well. And every time I thought like that, it went bad. Yeah, It just so quickly went bad, you know? And I keep seeing, and it just happens, you know? But in terms of like overcoming, like really the problems in here and the, the, the number one solution is that service portion of this thing. Right. And so I asked myself in my daily prayers, it's like, how can I best be of service to my brothers? You know what I mean? And I ask to be presented with opportunities to be of service and then to act upon them when they're presented. And there's a lot of me throughout the day. Like, you know, I'm a freaking stand-up comic. Like, it's literally an egomania competition, right? But if I'm just, like, checking box X, Y, and Z in regards to, like, call that guy, check up on this dude, Make sure that you're there for people at the meetings. You know what I mean? Like check up with my buddies in recovery at home. Tell somebody I love them today. You know what I mean? Whatever it might be. All the other stuff that people get lost in, like it just works out like magic. 
And you can call it perspective. You can call it a spiritual experience. You can like call it whatever you want, but it's just like, man, I don't, I keep doing the stuff that's worked so far because it's worked so far because <laughs> we're, we're addicts through and through. We don't do shit unless it feels good. Yeah. And that's still true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I've just been so blessed to learn that there's nothing that feels better than, and I, I think what I talked about it with you earlier is like, I was still, I had a great kill Tony and it was so much fun. And two things happened one after the other. I felt really good. I was elated. People were showing adoration. I had to run to the bathroom to pray for humility because I was like, this is not gonna go well if I yeah. just take it for face value. So I immediately prayed for humility. That's where I went to the bathroom, where I fucking met you, yeah. right? Then introduced to fellow members of the recovery community in that same interaction. So I pray for humility. I get opportunities to be of service in the same interaction. Right. I go back to the bullpen and I watch my, my friend Mason Smith go crush it. And now I can really celebrate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I don't awesome. have to worry about me because now I can just love my friend. Yeah. That's epic, man. The full circle. Full circle. I love that because we got to connect because you shared what you shared yeah. up on stage. Yeah. I was drawn to you. Chris was drawn to you. Our buddy Scott was drawn to you. Guys that all want to be comedians. Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to see you guys thrive, man. Yeah. It's, Thank you, it's man. awesome. And to wrap this up, I don't know if you can riff on this because we're about out of time, but kind of the tagline of this, and maybe you have something to say towards someone that might be listening to this mm -hmm. and feel like they're in a sort of hopeless spot yeah, or maybe the stuff they've been running and gunning for, whether right. it's through drugs or just through the grind yeah, that it's not really full of purpose. Right. And so they feel a little empty. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of wrapping this up. I always say, you know, you, me, we mm -hmm. have overcome a hundred percent of our darkest days. Yep. And for me escaping death twice mm -hmm. because of this addiction, you escaping death mm -hmm. for the last five years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Just turning it over to you. Yeah, man. If you're struggling, listen. One one thing that happens is when you're struggling with anything, it's hard to see the light. It's not clear. It's a real challenge. And if just through listening to this, I've like instilled any degree of hope, which is why I'm on. It's I, I'm honest, not because I like. I just want to flex. Like I'm honest because you never know who you're going to help. Like you just talked about. Like yeah. the cards fell and we met each other, mm. and things happened. All I know is that I did not think that not just a good life, but any kind of better life was possible. I just didn't see it getting any better and I didn't believe it could. I let go just for a second. I just asked somebody for help, someone who'd been there and there's a lot of great people out there and you know where to find them. Mm. All I did, things got, man, I couldn't ask for anything. I couldn't ask for anything. Like, I my cup runneth over. And all, all I did was get out of my own way just for a second. It got better than I... I didn't think it would work. And it just worked better than I... Like, you can't... You can't explain to somebody truly, like, like fully. Like, it's so much better yeah. 
than I ever thought it could be. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Even on the bad days. Wow, it's powerful. Three of the most dangerous words, I got this. Oh. Three of the most empowering words or powerful words are, I need help. Yeah. And uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so. Instagram, uh, nat.comedian. Nat.comedian, exactly. And I post like all the shows. At nat. Yeah, that's right. At nat. That's easy way to remember it. Nat. Nat. That's right. Comedian. That's right. That's me. And I post, you know, all my shows on there. Uh, I produce a couple shows around Austin now that I'll be performing on as well. So if you want to show support that way, hopefully got all kinds of other content coming. Who knows? Maybe merch down the pipeline, but that's not a thing yet. Yeah. But man, I'm just. I'm but just to go to see it. you uh, on your kind of breakout performance. Yes. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, it's probably Spotify and Apple as yes. well, but it's Kill Tony Five Twenty Eight or Five Twenty Six. I believe so. I think it's Five Twenty Eight. Uh, and it is 528 yep. and he's about 46 minutes in, yeah. I believe, uh, the whole thing's killer. So, thanks, man. uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really grateful you were here. Uh, Maybe we can do it again me. some other time. Anytime. And That's I'm really great. grateful for the human being you are. I thanks, know that man. your gift, man, of, of comedy is going to bless the world. Ah. It's going to make people laugh. My cheeks were hurting. Ah. Uh, but man, just the dude that you are, the people that you help. It's pretty amazing to meet people that are altruistic in a way that the word altruism to me is kind of to just do the next right thing without expecting anything in return. That's it. Just because it's the right thing. That's it, man. And uh, it's pretty contagious. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you kindly, man. It was awesome to be here. Truly. Appreciate you, brother. Wow. I hope you really enjoyed that episode of Overcome with Justin Wren with Nat Rogachevsky. That guy is on an upward trajectory to being a comedy legend. I honestly think that I've seen his work ethic. I've seen how bad he wants it. He's made the move from Boston to Austin. And I hope you laughed out loud during this episode, just like I did while it was live. Man, Nat is a killer dude. What a story of overcoming. That is powerful. It's profound. He was so raw, real open and, uh, I guess just vulnerable. And for me, uh, you know, being vulnerable is that's not, I used to think it was a sign of weakness, but now I think it is a sign of true strength. And that's for me who is in the, I am in the process of overcoming my addiction. I just think that that is the one and only way to overcome. And if you want to support this show, please support our sponsors on it, on it.com slash overcome, save yourself some money. And also to support this show, the best way you can do that. And we've got a giveaway is to leave us a review. You can leave us a review on Spotify now and you can rate it, review it, uh, and follow or subscribe to the show or on Apple podcast. If you leave us a five star or leave us an honest review, Give us your feedback. We would love that. It would help us grow this show and know what you like, how we can make the show better. And we exist to serve you and build this into one of the most meaningful podcasts in the world. And uh, for a giveaway, we're giving away $25 gift cards to Amazon, also to the sponsor of the show on it. And we're also going to give away a $100 gift card from one of our past guests, Matt Vincent. If you missed that episode, please go back and listen. It's incredible. He is a two-time world champion in the Scottish Highland Games in his company. He's a serial entrepreneur and his company, Hate Brand Goods. 
Honestly, some of the most comfortable shorts. One of my favorite pairs of shorts I've ever owned is from Hate Brand Goods in their bag, their duffel bag. I think it is my favorite duffel bag I've ever owned for training. And so he's giving away a $100 gift card to someone that leaves a review on Spotify or Apple for us. It's going to help this show grow into one of the most meaningful podcasts in the world. Again, thank you so much. We couldn't do this without you. I love you guys truly from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and supporting the show. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.